0: With the difference a friend or two can make, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. A couple people with you that are carrying your burden, it makes it so much lighter. You're able to share the sorrows with people. It makes sorrow so much easier. It doesn't take it away, but it makes it easier. You've got some great joy. It's so good to spread the joy around, but you can't do that when you're not connected. You can't do that when you're not connected to one another like God ordained. God ordained you to connect with one another.
1: This is amazing grace. This is amazing. than ever. We need friends. And where to find them or how to make them is our focus today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Last time you may recall, we were in Romans chapter 16 and discovered Paul was no lone ranger. He knew and served with a lot of people. And one of the great benefits of fellowship is the friendships that develop. To explain, here's Pastor Ed.
0: You just don't know who you're going to meet, who your neighbor might be, what kind of friendship that might lead to. Or the new job that you just got or the one that you just left and you're looking for a new job. You just don't know who you're going to meet. And I love this because while he was in prison, you remember Paul took advantage of that time. He shared the gospel like crazy. He wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians while he was in jail. And he met people. And some of the people that he met while he was in jail was Adronicus and Junia. Make sure you say hi to them. And notice they were of note among the Apostles. The Apostles knew them too. We don't know a lot about them, but they were countrymen, they were fellow prisoners, and they were notable. You just don't know who you're going to meet. Verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stacus, my beloved. Now, we know that Amplius and Urbanus are common slave names of the day. We're not too sure about Stacus, but could be that that name is also a slave name. But notice, The gospel was alive upon those that were in bondage. And that's one of the things that you learn as an unbeliever. It doesn't matter what your state in life is. Apart from Jesus Christ, you're in bondage. And some of you are like, right away, you're saying, No, Ed, I'm not in bondage. I'm a good person. I do great things. I'm a moral person, and and, and I've done great things, and I don't see myself in bondage, but the Bible does. You see, it's a good thing that you're a good person. Don't we need more good people in the world today? We do. We need more good, moral, upright people. But it's one thing to be good in society or even to be better than someone else in society. And it's a whole other thing on being good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. Because the Bible sets, God does himself, sets a very high standard for entering into his family and his kingdom. You know what that standard is? Perfection. And you go, whoa, Ed, I'm not perfect. Well, join the crowd. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every human being was born both into sin and as a sinner by action. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't make much sense to try to work your way into the favor of God because you'll never make it. You'll always be broken. You'll always be touched and tainted by sin. It really doesn't matter how good you are. When you are facing God face to face, he's going to ask you to give an account for your life. He's going to say, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ. You go, what does that mean, Ed? Well, listen, the Bible tells us of a loving heavenly father, God the Father, who out of his love for you and I in our brokenness, he responded to that love by sending Jesus Christ to the earth. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died a sinless death. You know the story. They hung him on a Roman cross. The worst way to die crucifixion was. And there he is hanging there, innocent. He died for no human crime, no spiritual crime. He was innocent, completely pure. And in his purity, he died as a substitute for you and I. They took him off the cross. They buried him and sealed the tomb. And they thought, hey, no problem. got another guy. We took care of him. But you know, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. And it's in his life. Amen. You can clap on that. That's good. Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, if you think it through, if you think it through, the very life, believer, that you're living right now is the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in you, through you. But if you're living today apart from Jesus Christ, I mean, look at your life like a bank account, would you? And just let's say you're, you have a spiritual bank account, and your whole life you've done good deed after good deed after good deed. You've helped people across the street. You've helped people with their rent. You've done, delivered food. You've done good things to people at work. And you just keep putting an account, right? You keep putting that account, putting that account. And you're kind of thinking that of all the good things I've done before God, my account should be pretty high. But let me tell you, the good deeds here on earth apart from Jesus Christ is like adding a penny, adding a penny, adding a penny. It'll never fill up. It's not that it's nothing. It is very valuable to do good things. But see, the right motivation of doing good and being moral is a life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, here's how it works in that same spiritual bank account. You recognize that your sin has separated you from God. You recognize that you're broken before God. You recognize that you need his forgiveness. Because I know some of you walked in here today, some of you are listening in from afar, and you're looking for hope. You've come to the right place you're looking for help in life i mean you really want some clarity of what's going on you want some kind of spiritual strength some kind of spiritual stamina that maybe you see your mom had growing up or your new coworker. and you want help and you want hope you've come to the right place but please don't be confused that help is found in this church it's not this building is just an empty shell when you guys walk out of the door it's empty as a matter of fact this last wednesday Right before our staff meeting, we walked through and we prayed for all these empty chairs where you're sitting right now. We prayed for you that would be sitting in it. We prayed for the believers that would be here, the unbelievers would be here. It's just an empty room. It's cold, it's dark, it's lifeless without the church. It's just a room, just a building. So your hope is not in a church. Your hope is not in Calvary Chapel. Your hope is not in a pastor or a priest. Your hope and your help is found only in Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here. We're here to point you to Jesus Christ. We're here to bring you to a place where you understand that by faith in him, you're going to have all the help and all the hope that you need to live this life. What will you do with your sin? Some of you have responded to a call earlier weeks and months ago, and then you just went right back out and lived your own life on your own. Don't be confused. Don't be deceived. A true, genuine faith in Jesus Christ will lead to change in your life. It will lead to him ruling and reigning over your life, not you. And you may need to reevaluate even right now, where am I with God? Whether you consider yourself saved for 20 years or 20 minutes, it's always good to base your life on the assurance of your faith in Jesus, to hold fast to him, to have a genuine conversion where God, he saves you and he seals you and he begins to work in you, not just on you. A lot of times we make that mistake, right? We make a decision for Jesus Christ, and then our first thing, well, I got to change this and change this and change it. No, here's what you do when you get saved: you just start loving Jesus, and he'll start changing you. All right, <laughs> to the point where you're like, "Stop changing me!" <laughs> and the Lord says, "Dude, you need a lot of changing. All right, so just trust me, trust me." And so here are these slaves that God did a great word. Verse 10: Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. And Apollos is great. It's great to be known as approved in Christ. There's a couple ways you can take this. One is just, hey, God put a stamp of approval on Apollos. He's a true believer. But that word in the Greek also can be taken a different way, and that is Apollos is approved in Christ because he's been tested through the fire, and he's come through stronger. Now, some of you are like that right now. You're like, God has turned the heat up in your life, and it is in order to bring a test about in your life to make you stronger. And when you get through the trial, when you get in on the other side, you're gonna be approved in Christ because it's made you stronger. It's made you it's made you cling to Jesus even more. Remember Daniel's friends, where were they thrown? They were thrown into a hot, fiery furnace. The intention of Nebuchadnezzar was to wipe them out for their rebellion and not bowing down. And instead of wiping them out, remember the Bible says that they went in bound. Remember that? They went in bound. But when they went into the fire and came out, the Bible says they came out loosed. You know what that tells us? That tells us when the fires of life are turned up around us, you might go into the fires bound. Bound by some addiction. Bound by some thought or memory. Bound by some thing that just seems to not let you go. You go into the fires bound, but through the fire. God doesn't burn you, but burns those things that are binding you. And you come out stronger. Apollos, approved. He's approved in Christ. Verse 10, greet those who are the household of Aristobulus. Many believe that he was related to Herod Agrippa. And I just want you to notice, although Aristobulus, Paul didn't say greet him. He wants the people that are saved in his household. And so it's possible to have many people saved in a home, even when the head of the home isn't saved. Although it's always cool that the head of the home gets saved, because usually when the head of the home gets saved, the rest of the family follow. Very, very important. But Aristobulus didn't greet him, but he greeted those that were in his home. Verse 11, greet Herodian, my kinsman. Somehow he's related to the Herod family, and he's got saved. Greet those who are the household of Narcissus who are in The Lord. That's an important place to be in the Lord. We know who Narcissus is. History tells us that he was the secretary for Emperor Claudius. And so here, the gospel goes into palaces, it goes into prisons, it goes, the gospel is unleashed throughout the world, and people that believe on Jesus Christ, no matter what their state in life is, they get saved. That's why it's important for us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You just never know who God's going to use you to minister to. And so we know them. Verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Some of you ladies are pregnant. And you're looking for a name for your kids. (laughs) Have you ever considered chapter 16? These are actually cool names. Tryphena means delicate and triphosa means dainty. Come here, tryphosa. <laughs> a lot of great names in the Bible, you know. But they're greeted. They've labored in the Lord. You know, you can do a lot of laboring but not be in the Lord. You know, churches can get real busy doing a lot of stuff but not in the Lord. Do you know Christians can run to and fro doing, 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 doing and never be in the Lord? Make sure that you're serving in the Lord, Okay. Make sure you get your direction from the Lord. Make sure you're being led by the Spirit of God. Make sure when your labor is mentioned, it's mentioned in the Lord. You don't want to burn yourself out doing things God doesn't want you to do. You don't want to burn yourself out trying to create some kind of favor with God. You want to be in the Lord, right? We've looked at that many times, abiding in him. And then your labor will be in him and from him and to him. And so he says in verse 13, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. I like that. Rufus's mom was not Paul's mom, but was like a mom to Paul, just like some of you moms are your friends' kids or your neighbors, where you've just become a mother figure to them or a grandmotherly type figure to them. Keep it up. Paul remembered it when he started to think through hey, remember Rufus and his mom, who was also like my mom. So cool, so valuable. Now, anybody know who Rufus' dad was? Little quiz here. Anybody? Simon, that's right. Some of you know and some of you don't know. Flip over to Mark chapter 15. Rufus, we know where he's come from because we see a mention of his dad and him in Mark's gospel. So turn to the left. I know we didn't turn a lot today because it's kind of a narrative, but next week we'll turn 30 times just to make up for it, all right? Look at Mark chapter 15, just a couple verses, verse 21. And it's so cool. Paul knew so many people. He knew so many, and he greeted them. So we know who Rufus is. Notice verse 21. Now they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. So he's mentioned there. You know his dad was Alexander. He's a Cyrenian. And Mark mentions this because people would know who he is. And Paul mentions it because he was prominent in the church in Rome. And it's neat. You just don't know how God's going to use things in your life and where you're going to end up. Remember for many years before... Saul of Tarsus was saved he hated Jesus with a passion Paul Saul of Tarsus he hated the church he was on a one-man mission to destroy the church that's where he was headed in Acts chapter 9 to go destroy the church in Damascus but God got a hold of him grabbed him. when God gets a hold of you it's no looking back and then this woman Rufus's mom just played a big part we don't know what happened with Alexander, but Rufus and his mom played a big part in the spiritual development and love for Paul. Back in Romans now, as we wind down, verse 14, chapter 16 of Romans, greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobos, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. So many, many more are mentioned by name. Greet Phalagis and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. And so he's just like getting it out. And then he says in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Right? The churches of Christ greet you. We don't do that much around here now, do we? We're not going around giving holy kisses anymore. Because it's cultural. It's a cultural thing. Today here, you know, we'll give a real good holy handshake, right? Yeah or a good holy hug but not necessarily it's just not cultural for us but god hooked me up when he sent me to egypt let me just say when the brothers love you man they give you a holy kiss and they do this and they really like you they give you two more and they're genuine i mean it's there's nothing bad about it you know even thinking about it in our own culture right We have to really guard ourselves to thinking it's something other than just very nice. Because our culture has messed up that whole holy kiss thing. And there's even a possibility when you think a holy kiss, you might even let some sexual weirdness. And that's not this at all. It's a genuine holy kiss. However, in our culture, there's not a lot of that going on. We're going to handshake. We're going to give a holy hug. And, and then, you know, we're going to be in such a place where we're in the spirit when we do that, right? It's a holy kiss, a holy hug, a holy handshake. Not an unholy one, okay? It's not an unholy one. And, and sometimes, you know, you ladies, you know, especially you got to be careful with the opposite sex. You ladies, you know, maybe the Lord ministers to you. And, and after the service, you want to come, and you want to give Ed a great big hug. And I'm open to that. I'm cool with that. But one thing you'll notice is I'll immediately try to do it from the side, to be careful. It's nothing personal. It's not intended to offend you or hurt you. But I recognize that even in that kind of show of affection with the opposite sex, with someone other than my wife or my daughter, got to be careful. Got to be very careful. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with a handshake. I mean, I know when I walked into church, I had a big problem with it way back when. I mean, I sat way back in the end. I go, don't anybody say anything to me. I don't want to shake your hand. I don't want to hug you. I'd come late and I'd leave early just for that reason. But I'm so glad that the Lord taught me that it's good to express emotion with one another in a godly, careful way where it is a holy kiss under the Lord. It is a holy hug under the Lord. And it's a holy, hearty handshake under the Lord. And so please, you know, don't be offended. Maybe some of the leaders might do that with you as well. You know, opposite sex, male or female. Don't be offended, but be careful and spiritual, okay? Just keep that in mind. Too many pastors fall into gross immoral sin. Have you noticed that? And we're determined here to stay so close to Jesus that that doesn't happen. That's our heart. I pray that every day that we stay pure and holy unto the Lord. Both us as leaders and also you. Because you could be the next leaders here. You could be the next leaders. And if we're not careful, the enemy can do weird stuff. So, holy kiss look at verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman, greet you. So now he's mentioning names that are the people that are with him. And, and it's kind of cool because Timothy, remember, was with him for eight years. Timothy was, now he mentions Rufus' mom like a mom with a great close relationship. Remember, Timothy was called what? Like his son in the faith. So the kind of relationships that we have here, Paul tells Titus, hey, you treat the older women like mothers, the younger women like sisters, the older men like fathers, the younger men like brothers in the family of God. Because it is a family. And Timothy was very important to Paul, like a son in the faith. Lucius, Jason, Bird. Jason might be the one mentioned in Acts 17, but we don't know. Then he says in verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. And you go, wait a minute, Ed. Didn't you say Paul wrote this epistle? Because that's how we started, remember? Paul the Apostle, that's how the book opens. And didn't you say Paul wrote it, and now it says I, Tertius, wrote it? Well, this is how Paul wrote it. He dictated it, and Tertius wrote it down. Because many believe Paul had problems with his eyes. I agree. As a matter of fact, when Galatians was written, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, see with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. So his eyes were going out then. So now he has someone to come alongside of him, and he's dictating this letter, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and Tertius is writing it down for him. And then he says in verse 23, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Some of you might remember Gaius. His name is mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Remember, they were arguing about who's baptizing and all that stuff about baptism. And then Paul says, hey, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody, but Gaius was one of the guys he baptized. So some kind of relationship there, it's just a neat friendship in the Lord, and Gaius is with him, so that's kind of cool. Then Erastus was the treasurer, he says, and then Quartus was a brother, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know, Paul ends this letter like four times. He's just like the good pastor that he is. Amen. I've got one more thing. <laughs> Amen. Hey, Amen. It happens. I know. I know the thinking. But you gotta see this. Paul was connected. It's important for you to be connected with one another to learn each other's names, to learn each other's family histories, where people have come from. It'll help you understand them. It'll help you understand them when you start to get involved in their life and what they've gone through and what they've overcome and how they were raised and what city they grew up and what their nationality is and what country they're from and on and on and on that list goes because it makes us who we are today as God is growing us up in Christ. You go, Ed, that's just so hard. I don't think I could do it. You know, I'm like a shy person. I don't even see that happening, Ed. Well, let me just say there's another thousand shy people in this church. Meet one of them. I don't exactly know how that would look with two shy people trying to meet each other. <laughs> uh, hello, how are you? I don't I don't know. How are you? You know, I don't know how that works. But listen, you've got potential here, friends. You've got potential here. You need to connect one of the worst things you can do is to pull yourself from fellowship, from the very people that God's ordained to help you. I don't know if you've noticed, but I certainly have. When there are more people carrying a burden, it's a lot lighter, right? Like when you're moving, you want 50 guys there, don't you? I mean, you put the word out. I want the 50th strongest people in the world because when there's 50 guys helping you move on your refrigerator, you can carry it like this, man. It's not you. It's the 20 guys carrying it around you, right? But when there's only two of you that show up to move, oh, man, now you're going to have to, you know, cast lots of who the refrigerator is going to be on your back all by yourself. It's tough. You know, it's the same way spiritually. You got a couple people with you that are carrying your burden. It makes it so much lighter. You're able to share the sorrows with people. It makes sorrow so much easier. It doesn't take it away, but it makes it easier. You've got some great joy. It's so good to spread the joy around, but you can't do that when you're not connected. You can't do that when you're not connected to one another like God ordained. God ordained you to connect with one another. He's brought you to this church for a reason. He's put you in a specific family for a purpose. You're important here. You're important. It's not just for what you can get, but what you can give to one another. Do you know people that study relationships, People that study relationships say that over the course of the average lifetime, because maybe you won't know 26 people by name, by face, maybe that's not possible, but you'll know a few and you'll intersect in a lot of different families. And those that study relationships say, on average, you and I in our average life, we're going to share our life very intimately, very closely with about five good friends. That's it. Five. And you break down five, five begins with one. And perhaps God has brought you into this fellowship family to develop a friendship that would be just one of those five. Not 26. Now, some of you are much better at making friends. I grew up with a guy that, man, he could make friends with anyone at any time. And I don't just mean make friends with anyone at any time. But like, by the time he was done in a 15-minute conversation, they were best friends. It made me so mad. I wasn't like that. I wasn't like him. He could just, man, a stranger. He could meet a stranger on the street, and they're sharing their baby pictures with one another. I'm like, dude, man, he's still like that today. He still makes me mad. (laughs) I love him so much. You know, he reached out to me and befriended me. Some of you are like that. And you make me mad too. (laughs) No, you don't. Some of you are like that. You're going to have more than five. Some of you are on the other side. Maybe you'll have one or two. And most of us are in the middle somewhere. I just say this. Connect.
1: We trust you're inspired to connect first with the Lord and then with a good local church and that you stay connected with us here at Abounding Grace. We'll be praying to that end. Pastor Ed Taylor is nearing the end of his study in Romans and you can access them through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Again, we're at aboundinggraceradio.com. More and more people these days are accessing our teachings through our app, not only is it really convenient, but it's easy, too. You can download that right now. Search for Calvary Aurora and start listening to Pastor Ed Taylor through your mobile devices. You can also watch the live stream from Calvary Church in Aurora through that app. These are difficult, challenging times we're living in, and we'd like to offer you a book that can be a real encouragement. It's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. You might think of lament as how we bring our sorrow to God. But this is often a neglected part of the Christian experience. Learn how to vocalize your pain and wrestle with sorrow as you move toward deeper worship and trust in God. Author Mark Rogop explores the Bible through the Psalms and Lamentations, inviting you to tap into God's grace and mercy that He offers in the darkest moment of your life. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Please remember us in your prayers and giving to the Lord as you're able. People need to hear about God's abounding grace right now. And with your help, we can make that possible. You can make a secure donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. and Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.